morning, church. It's great to be together on a beautiful Sunday morning. And I just want to give a quick round of applause to Tony and Vita and Frank for sharing their hearts, uh, for communion and for contribution. Thank you guys so much. Isn't it a beautiful day today? You know, it's been awesome uh, for me uh, now coming into the tail end of the year to reflect on what an amazing year it's been. This is the year that I moved to another country. <laughs> and, you know, December is here. It's upon us. It's the last month of 2022. I mean, is, is that not a little bit shocking to you that it's already the end of the year? I don't know for you, about, about you, but for me, it just flew by. And uh, there's a lot to be grateful for. Obviously, we know December, uh, it is the time for the festive season to be in full effect. Uh, we even sang Joy to the World, a very well-known Christmas song. And uh, it is that time of the season where people start decorating their houses. Who's going to decorate their house and, and get Christmas on their house? A few people. Yeah, right? You know, it, it's awesome. You get to share your heart, you know, share some, some art, artistry for your house. Uh, you also get opportunities to have some great meals. Who's got some favorite Christmas meals? Yeah, right? What, what are some of the favorites? Adora, what's your favorite? Mac and cheese? Lobster. Wow, okay. All right, Liz, how about you? Tamales. Yep, tamales. So in California, it's all about tamales. That's true. Ashley, how about you? Seafood, anything seafood. Okay, all right, all right, last one, Tony. Anything with cranberry sauce. I, unfortunately, I don't share that sentiment with you, bro. I don't know, cranberries, you know, all right, Enzo, one last one. Yeah. But, bro, I, I thought you were Italian, bro. Bro. Yeah. Just got to make your way across the Mediterranean to the Portuguese. <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's so many things about the, the holiday season that we can be grateful for. And I know for uh, Margie and I, we're heading back to California for a couple, uh, for a week and a half. And I'm so excited to have my mom's cooking again. And, uh, you know, in, in our family, so if you don't know, I'm half Mexican, uh, half white. Uh, I just say blanket white, you know, because my, my dad was, I think, you know, third generation Eastern European, but he, he, for all intents and purposes, was just American. So, you know, in our, uh, in our family, we have these things called gorditas. And gorditas, uh, for the Latin, you know, specifically Mexicans in the room, gorditas, uh, they're actually more like sopes. It's a piece of flour. You fry it. Then you put uh, refried beans on top, cheese lettuce and sour cream and salsa and it is the best thing in the world I mean it's a feast and you know when that feeling you get when you're having a feast when you're sitting at the table and you just you don't want it to end you know it, it's a little bit like how when you go over to Frank and Ashley's and Paolo Maria's the food just keeps coming the feast is never ending. You feel like you're on Treasure Island. It's never going to end, you know? You're trapped. And you, you are actually physically kind of trapped at the table, you know? Frank kind of, like, wedged me into one seat and didn't let me get out until I ate everything on my plate. <laughs> but, uh, 
This morning, I want to talk a little bit about what it means to have a spiritual feast. And as we get into the month of December, we have an opportunity to have a spiritual feast or on the flip side, have a spiritual famine. And so I've entitled the lesson this morning, Feast or Famine. Feast or Famine. Turn over to the book of Amos, chapter 8. We're going Old Testament today. Amos, or if you're a Spanish speaker, Spanish speaker, Amos. Amos, capítulo 8. In chapter 8, verse 11 and 12, I have three very simple points for us. In verse 11, it says, The days are coming, declares the, the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. We see here a famine directed by God, and not of food, not of thirst, but in fact of hearing the words of God. Isn't that intense? And it, it leads to, un unfortunately, a very similar application that we have today. Not in the sense that God has ordained a famine of hearing the word of God, but there, in fact, is a famine of people listening to the word of God. And so uh, today, I'm going to be, you know, we're going to dive into some of the aspects of a famine that we face today, as well as the feast that we have to be able to partake in. Does that fire you up that we also have a feast to partake in? And so point number one, the famine of sound doctrine. The famine of sound doctrine. We live in a time where there are churches on every street corner. You can go and do a Google search and find hundreds of churches in Toronto. Yet here you are in our seats listening to the word this morning. And I want to illustrate to you just how special it is that you're sitting right here right now. Turn over to the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4. You know, I do love the prophet Amos because Amos is actually a shepherd and he gets called to be a prophet similar to the sheep herding that David did. Amos is called out of that profession into preaching as a prophet and he preaches the word and unfortunately it falls on deaf ears and the people of Israel are taken into captivity in Assyria. And in, dare I say, we live in a very similar time where judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. It's not a threat. It's a promise. And God is sending his angels at some point or another on a day that he has chosen that we do not know what day it is. And we all have the decision of whether we're going to be prepared on that day. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, we get a little insight into what this famine is like today. In verse 1, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. 
They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Paul instructs Timothy here to always be prepared to preach the word in season and out of season. And he says in verse 3, the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Dare I say, that is that, this is that time. Paul is instructing us on our time where people will not put up with sound doctrine, but instead will go to church to get their itching ears itched. Have you guys ever been a part of that, where you see people come to church and they don't really want to be there? They're just being there just out of guilt. They, in, in, in a way, it's not an itching uh, ear, it's just an itching guilty conscience. And they go to church and just check the box off on, well, I went to church, I've done my duty, I dedicated my time. But even on the other side, you have people who go to churches and they do get what their itching ears want to hear. There's so many false doctrine preachers out there who just tell people what they want to hear. Who here has heard of a man by the name Joel Olstein? You know, there, I, I try my best as, as a preacher to have a little compassion on, on terms of, of what other preachers are trying to do. It's, it's hard to get up and do public speaking and, and, and really pr- convey a message that is formidable and, and convincing and persuading, right? But man, I, I really don't have much compassion for Joel Olstein Because this is a man who literally takes this scripture and does exactly what the audience wants to hear. He says all these nice little sayings, and it's in this little southern accent. God loves you. You know, when I was growing up on the farm, there used to be a little piglet. The little piglet's name was Piggy. And the way that God looks at us is the way I looked at Piggy. Little Piggy was just my pride and joy. That's the way God looks at you. He's your pride and joy. And it's just all these little little euphemisms and analogies to just make you feel good about God. And there's no conviction that's actually preached. See, churches are not meant to be full of itching ears getting itched. It's supposed to be full of hearts getting convicted and decisions being made. And as we go into December, December can tend to be one of those months where we let off the gas. And we can tend to get comfortable. I appreciate what Evan and Kelly shared that, you know, the Bible, it talks about comfort, but it's not comfort the way that the world tells us. The world tells us get as comfortable as you possibly can. Get the nicest sofa, the nicest TV, and just put on Netflix. That's what the world is trying to convince you of is the epitome of life. But yet the scriptures want you actually to be uncomfortable so that you have to go to God to find your comforts. And in this famine of sound doctrine, we have to make sure that we ourselves are going to the source of sound doctrine, which is right in front of you in your fingertips. You know, people have access to the Bible in nearly every corner of the globe today. Obviously, there are certain, certain exceptions to the rule. But the issue is not that people don't have access, especially here in Toronto. It's that people's hearts are so hard that they never actually open it themselves. And we not only have a famine throughout the streets of Toronto, we have a famine throughout the homes of Toronto. Is there a famine of sound doctrine in your home? How often do you open the Bible? 
How often do you let these words permeate throughout your home? How often are you filling your heart and mind with the scriptures, with the sound doctrine that can save you? We live in a time where there are lies upon lies about how to be saved. Lies upon lies about who God is and how God works in people's lives. And we have to be trained and prepared to give a defense to those lies with the truth. I mean, by golly, we live in a time where a man says he's a woman because he feels that way. We're told we have to accept that truth. It's their truth, and we have to accept the lie that is actually a lie, but in fact entertain it as truth. That's the times that we live in, and there's so many more situations where it's being applied to, even to the point of pedophilia being entertained as just simply another truth. Make no mistake about it, we live in a, a little bit of a bubble at times in our own lives that we forget just how dark the world is getting around us. There is a famine for the, for the truth. Turn over to Jeremiah chapter 7. This, one, this is a, an amazing scripture right here. Jeremiah 7, verse 27. says, when you tell them all this, they will not listen to you. When you call to them, they will not answer. Therefore, say to them, this is the nation that has not obeyed the Lord its God or responded to correction. Truth has perished. It has vanished from their lips. Isn't that so true today? Truth is vanishing from people's lips. People unwilling to acknowledge their own sinfulness and their own need for God. People thinking that they can get satisfaction from this life from their own pursuits. And it's up to us to be the counterculture that's going to change Toronto. It's those within this room that will make the difference. It is the way to be saved even. How to become a disciple has vanished from pulpits today. If you don't believe me, you should look up what some of the churches teach in Toronto. They actually go a step to help us because they post it a lot of times on their website what they believe. And we're very upfront about what we believe, about what it means to be saved. There's no ambiguity. There's a simple process of how to do it. Is it hard? Yes, but it's simple. And this famine for sound doctrine can unfortunately even infect those within our rank because not everyone understands exactly how to present it. We need to make sure that we can present the truth of the gospel because it has been fought and toiled over by many before you. I want to take the time to really lift up those that have been in the church for over five years. Because the, these are... so. I want to take the time. So everyone who has been a part of the Toronto church for, let's say, four years and up, please stand at this time. Four years and up. You guys can be seated. What, what a special group of disciples. Just men and women who have fought and toiled over what we have in this room. Just this last week, we reached an incredible milestone of hitting 75 disciples in Toronto. It's amazing. 
it's so inspiring to see so many get baptized into Christ. Just last week, obviously, with uh, Jess and uh, Rachel. I was going to say Haley, but Rachel. <laughs> uh, to see them get baptized. And even today, we have another who's come to be baptized with Gladys making the decision. But I want to really convey and put on your hearts that this, we are in a time of famine, of sound doctrine. And the more that you understand truly how special what we have in this room is, the harder you're willing to go and work for it. You know, discipleship is not organic. Who here likes to buy organic? Anybody like to buy organic? <laughs> Kelly? There's few. I'm sure I share the sentiment with most of us, like, it's just got a higher price tag. <laughs> Kelly, well, yeah, I don't talk to Kelly about it because Kelly probably has a full-on detailed explanation as to why it actually really does make a difference. She really does. So <laughs> if you want to know more, you can talk to her. But, you know, discipleship is not organic in the sense that it grows on trees and you can have a plant in your backyard where you can pick discipleship off and there you go, you're good to go. Discipleship is manufactured in the sense that when uh, a part or a material is put into a mold at a manufacturing plant, it is put under pressure to fit that mold and transform into whatever it is being called for. Discipleship is that, the mold being Jesus, the material being us. And we're being pushed into that mold and are called to be transformed to look more and more like Jesus Christ. Are you with me? This is the calling for those that decide to battle against the famine of sound doctrine. You know, I remember studying the Bible now um, 11 and a half years ago. And I remember sitting down with the disciples and being so impacted by the scriptures at Light and Darkness. I, uh, it's a Bible study, for those that don't know, where we look at what does it mean to be in the dark? What does it mean to be in the light? And I felt so convicted because for the first time in my life, the fear of God came over me. Judgment finally was communicated. For all the pot smoking, all the drunk nights that I had, all the immorality that I was involved in, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks that I was lost and that I needed God. And I remember I told my mom on, on Friday, she was not happy about it. She had uh, raised me to be a good Catholic boy, and uh, I was not a good Catholic by any stretch of the imagination. And uh, I call her up, I'm getting baptized, Ma, and it's at a Christian church. All she heard was Christian. And she got upset. I go home. We actually go into this whole discussion, in fact, argument, where she yells at me about how much I need to cool the jets. It's just a phase. You don't know what you're doing, yada, yada, yada. And she even at that point just says, you know what, I'm taking you to the priest. I'm like, whoa, this is like a scary movie. Priests only get involved when there's demons to exercise. I'm like, whoa, ma. So she says, we're going, to, we're going to mass. And I'm like, ma, it's Saturday. She's like, yeah, there's Saturday mass. I'm like, there is? I didn't even know that. So we, we get in the car. We go to mass. And at the time, the guys who were studying with me uh, had given me a Bible. And I remember sitting in the pews for the 59 minutes and 59 seconds. That is a Catholic mass. 
It's an inside joke if you don't know. Basically, everybody goes to the Catholic Church, sits down for 59 minutes and 59 seconds because any minute over is disrespectful. <laughs> so everybody is waiting to leave. <laughs> so I remember sitting there, and no one wants to be there, uh, at least from outward appearances. Everybody has a mean face on, uh, similar to perhaps somebody, some people in the crowd here today. Come on, guys, smile a little bit. So, you know, I don't want to have to tell Andrew to come up and take a picture of you guys every two minutes. Just take a picture every two minutes, bro, and then that way we can keep accountability. So, <laughs> I was sitting there in the Catholic Mass, and I, again, I had just done Light and Darkness, so I realized that the, the error of the false doctrine that the Catholic Church was perpetuating, which was, uh, baptizing babies and that being acceptable form of how to be saved. And so I remember sitting there and I'm holding on to my Bible like my life depended on it. Like the binding, I might have damaged it a little bit. I was holding it so tight. And the reason was is that I, I feel like I had finally had my eyes open to the lies to the, so that the truth could be obvious to me. And I, I remember sitting there and I just was blown away that these people were deceived. My heart broke inside me. I'm like, these people don't know. Similar to how the prophets felt throughout the Old Testament, these people need to be preached to. And I, at the time, I really, I was, I was unprepared. I didn't know how to. I didn't know what it meant to, to share my faith on that kind of level. Now, my mom at the same time is pulling me by the ear after service ends to the back of the church where the Catholic priest usually goes and shakes everyone's hands, says, peace be with you, and then wishes them on their way. So I go to the back of the church, and, and my mom comes up to the priest and says, uh, Hi, Father David. Um, my son wants to get baptized at a Christian church. That's it. That's all she said. There was no question. <laughs> it was just a statement, and it was you could tell there was a sense of, like, say something, Right? <laughs> And the priest, I'll never forget, he, he looked at my mom, he said, well, you know, I, I had a Christian phase in college once, too. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just a phase, you know, I came back around. At that point, I'm like, I'm definitely getting baptized tomorrow. <laughs> I was like, there, there ain't no way I'm listening to you. But even my mom, you could see the disappointment in my mom's face because here she is trying to get him to, like, fight me, you know, like, you know, get, get a scripture or something, you know, or tell him something or exercise the demon or whatever. And all he says is this justification. And I thought of 2 Timothy 4, the itching ears want to hear. There is an, an apprehension to call people higher, to call people to the standard. Long story short, I got baptized the next day, and it's been awesome ever since. But why we bring this up is the famine is still out there today. Do you appreciate the truth that you have come to hear today? You know, Acts 2, verse 36 to 38 tells us that Peter stands up among a group of Israelite men and says, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was crucified and you are responsible. 
And in verse 37, the people ask, what shall we do? They were cut to the heart. And in verse 38, Peter gives the timeless words of repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. That is the way to be saved. And it's up to us to continue to preach this message to all those in Toronto so that we can help to end this famine for sound doctrine. Point number two, the feast that we can miss out on. Turn over to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And as Jesus is talking with a, a crowd, he's asked about why he's there and what sign he can give so that they can believe in him. And in verse 32 of Matthew, cha- I'm sorry, John chapter 6, it says, Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is, is it, not, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. <laughs> now, a little bit of a context. Uh, the people were thinking that Jesus was talking about nice little sourdough bread. They were expecting a nice meal. You know, they had heard that he had fed the 5,000, fed the 4,000, and so they were kind of hoping for some nice sourdough bread, right? Is there any bread lovers in the room, right? Yeah, I mean, we're all all suckers, right? And it's actually quite challenging to make bread. You know, if you can make bread from scratch, it's pretty amazing. Um, Liz Famurewa knows how to make bread bowls from scratch. I mean, absolutely phenomenal. And Jesus is wanting to do something similar, at least on a spiritual level, but the people were thinking there were physical bread bowls coming. Verse 35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You know, I love this phrase. It's one of those phrases that just can ring in your mind and in your heart when you're having those tough days. Jesus is the bread of life, and if we continue feasting on him, it says that we will never go hungry and never be thirsty. i got to ask you, how hungry are you today? How thirsty are you? Is there things that you want that are outside of Jesus? The Bible says that when we go to Jesus, we're never going to go hungry and we're never going to go thirsty, obviously on a spiritual level. We are satisfied most when we go to the Savior. And I think for many of us, during the holiday season, many temptations come. Temptations to seek comfort, temptations to binge watch, temptations to, you know, even binge eat in a way, right? There's a lot of feasts that are coming. But the temptation is to be lazy even during this holiday season. For all the college students, you guys are going to have a break, right, in between semesters. I know you guys are all feeling the finals uh, right now, but after finals comes the, you know, calm uh, of what do you do now? And with uh, much more time, there's not always much more productivity. And the temptation will be to eat other breads other than Jesus. The bread of impurity, the bread of selfishness, the bread of hatred, the bread of of whatever, whatever temptation comes into our lives. 
And I got to ask you, are you being satisfied in your relationship with Jesus? Do you truly see these words as life-giving? Jump down to uh, the page to John 6, verse 60. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Wow, Jesus. That's my Jesus right there. Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. These words that we're reading right now give life. And if you don't feel full of life, then the obvious, the obvious situation that you are finding yourself in is that you have not been feasting on Jesus. You ever just have a week where you just felt a little discouraged? Nobody? Okay, all right, I guess I'm on an island then. So, you know, you just have those weeks where you, you feel a little empty, you know? You feel a little discouraged. You feel like just life's come, kind of coming at you. You know, I just got over this sickness of over the course of the last week and a half. And I'll be honest, I had a couple moments where I had a, a woe is me mentality. Where I just was sitting there and I'm just aching. I've got chills. I've got a fever. And I'm just like, why? Why me? You guys have a, oh, any why me moments? Yeah, we all have them. That's the thing about life. We all have reasons to say why me and to wonder why this is happening. And I got to ask you, are you going to Jesus in those moments? You know, I was encouraged because in John 16, this scripture truly helped my heart. You don't have to turn there. It says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You know, I had caught myself earlier this week thinking, why do I have trouble? <laughs> why me? And then I realized, oh my God, trouble is a promise from God. Jesus says, I will have trouble. I will face many troubles in this life. You will face many troubles in this life. You will face many troubles in December. And it's up to you to decide if you're going to feast or be a part of the famine. You know, you, you got to ask yourself, before we move to our next point, how nourished are you on the scriptures? I think many of us think that we know the scriptures, but we don't really take the time to digest the scriptures. Do you have the understanding of what the Bible really is talking about? Do you have an understanding of each book of the Bible? Why is it written? Who's the author? What's the context? There's so many details to the scriptures that give you life. You know, since 2014, I made it my ambition every year to read through the whole Bible. And so now I'm on, you know, what is it, number, number seven of the whole Bible reading in one year. I probably read through the whole Bible maybe once in the first two years of discipleship. But I, I love every time there's something new to grab from the scriptures. Do you have your quiet times just simply out of obligation? Or do you see it as an opportunity to feast on the scriptures? To eat away every single morning? <coughs> Excuse me. 
when we're invited to a feast and the food is good, we can't keep our hands off the food. You know what I mean? And it's awesome. Even yesterday, I, I, I know that uh, some of the disciples in the church had what they called a feast of nations. And I heard it went awesome. And, you, you know, when the food is good, you just can't get enough. Have you gotten enough of the scriptures? You know, some of us, we got baptized earlier this year. We're what we would call baby Christians. You're still needing your diaper to be changed, you know. You still uh, need to get burped every so often, right? Isaiah and Liz know, know exactly what all this looks like. And I think some of us are way too satisfied with having a shallow understanding of the scriptures. I want to challenge you to read through the whole Bible. Make it your ambition to read every single book, to know exactly what God's word that gives life actually means. Amen? Let's go to our last point, the feast that we are promised. Turn over to John chapter 14. And in verse 1, John 14, these are some of the most comforting words and encouraging words that Jesus tells us. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have, not told, would I have told you that? I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Jesus tells us here that he's going to prepare a place for each one of us. When we decide to be faithful followers, there's a room that has your name on it. And you got to wonder, what's that room going to be like? What are some of the characteristics that are going to be in your room? Yeah, for, for Josh, it's probably going to be looking a little bit like a garage. Jo Josh, if you don't know, Josh lives in a garage and then works in a garage. And his other, and when he goes out and works on people's houses, he tries to always work on their garages too. So just garages everywhere. You know, what, what's going to be unique to your room? What's going to be there? Let, let's, let's have a little fun with this. What's going to be in your room, Tony? Dad jokes. Just a book full of dad jokes. And, and the angels will be there to laugh with you. With you, yeah. They're going to take on that burden of laughing at your jokes. Amen, amen. What are some other things that would be in your room? Anthony, what would be in your room? A jacuzzi. All right, all right, not bad, not bad. Enzo? No big deal, just an ocean. Okay. <laughs> so, so if we peek into Enzo's room, there's gonna, he's just going to be swimming with the ocean, in the ocean. It's going to be, instead of finding Nemo, it's finding Enzo. Okay, all right. All right, Tommy, how about you? What is it? Palm trees. Fall trees. Okay, so like the color of fall, you know, the brown, the beauty of that. Okay. And so, you know, Tommy's going to be, like, flinging up, you know, brown leaves in the... All right, all right, all right. All right, Kelly. 
a full mountain range with valleys and rivers. Wow. Where you don't get tired. You can just keep hiking. All right, all right, all right. All right, Issa. Puppies. You know, Evan preached a lesson a couple weeks ago that, you know, made a strong case that animals could go to heaven. So I don't know. I mean, dogs could go to heaven. We don't know if cats will. I don't know. <laughs> All right, Elizabeth, last one. By the beach? Oh, a volleyball court by the beach. Oh, okay. All right. So then that way you don't get hurt, right? You know, no, 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 no news. Uh, Bruised knees. Okay. All right. Last one, Isaiah. Isaiah. Uh, okay. <laughs> it's not very many, bro. <laughs> Amen. So maybe some trophy case. You know, each of our rooms, it says, is going to be prepared for each one of us. And it's so encouraging to think about just the fact that Jesus has our room prepared. Turn over to Philippians chapter 3. I, I, I got to share this with you. Philippians chapter 3, because the truth is we actually don't get a whole lot of details about heaven. That's one of the more direct references. We have the book of Revelation, which we're going to look at in just a moment. But in Philippians chapter 3, In verse 20 and 21, it says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. You know, it's so awesome because it says that we, our citizenship is in heaven. Now, I know that there's many in here in this room that are citizens of other countries, Right, how many uh, citizens of other countries do we have in the room? All right, I'm American. Wow, so that's a lot. <laughs> wow, it's the majority. <laughs> right, so the Canadians are the minority in the room right now. <laughs> and so many of us are from different places. And when we go home to our native land, our native cities, and, and our native our homes, there's a certain element of warmth that we feel, do we not? When we walk into our, our mom and dad's house or walk into our city or drive on the streets of our old city, there's a familiarity that we love, right? We feel like we've come back home. The, the smells, the, the looks, the, you know, all of the people that are there, we, we feel at home. What's amazing about heaven is that we will have never been there, but we'll feel right at home. We'll have never been there, but we'll feel right at home when we walk through those gates. Is that not awesome? Yeah. And as we celebrate Christmas time, which obviously we know Christmas, December 25th, is not actually Jesus' birthday. I hate to burst your bubble if you thought that. Most likely it was in April, you know, in that time, you know, time frame. And, uh, you know, for all of us, even despite the, the accuracy per se is not there, we can still celebrate that Jesus was born this holiday season. And take the time to really deepen our relationship with God, to really have that feast that God wants for us. As we fight the famine that's out there, we first have to feast on the scriptures. Let's go to Revelation 21 where we'll finish out. Revelation 21. 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Isn't that not encouraging? That as we celebrate Christmas and the month of December, that we look forward to heaven and being with Jesus. And I love how it's described here. It says that he'll wipe every tear from our eyes. Even, you know, what we all confess to, the woe is me mentality that we can have. We all have things that cause hurt. We all have things that can cause tears, pain and tragedies that have happened in our lives. But what comfort we can take in the fact that every one of those tears will be wiped away. That all the suffering that we go through in terms of being a disciple here on earth, all of the famine of, of all the, the feasts of false doctrines that are out there, the famine of sound doctrine that we face, that we can look forward to being in heaven with God. And I do love that it says the bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I think back to when I saw my bride walking down the aisle. My wife and I are going to be celebrating on January 4th eight years of marriage. And so the holiday time is always a lot of things. You know, it's Christmas time, but it's also our anniversary. So it always just brings back all those memories. And if you see any pictures of Margie at our wedding day, she looks the same as she does today. It's amazing. She doesn't age. In fact, if you got a picture of her when she was 15, she looks the same. She was, it's crazy. We joke around about it. She's, she's timeless. And I'll never forget January 4th, 2015, when she was walking down the aisle in her white dress. And that white dress represented the purity that Margie and I had participated in, in that we had not kissed once. And as she came to the altar, there was a lot of butterflies in my stomach. And in that same vein, we're going to have a lot of butterflies when we get to heaven. We're going to have a lot of butterflies when we get to drop the cross of self-denial and we get to enter on into glory. And as we, we go into the month of December, I really want to encourage us to have a feast, to really take the extra time that many of us are going to have to dig deeper into your scriptures to dig deeper in understanding exactly what God wants for your life. Because we do live in a time where the famine is out there. And it's up to us to make the battle ours by feasting on the word of God and preaching the famine out of existence. I love y'all very much. To God be all the glory.